I love Christmas. I'll have to say this time of the year from the middle of November to about January 1st, the new year, is my absolute favorite time of the year. I wonder why that is. Is it because I just love being with family and celebrating the holidays? Maybe it takes me back as an old guy, back to my experiences as a child on Thanksgiving and Christmas with family. Maybe I think about family traditions and what that meant to me growing up. Maybe I think about seeing my children's faces now on Christmas morning and throughout the whole holiday season as they celebrate Christmas and enjoy gifts and giving gifts and receiving gifts. Maybe it's just because I like to eat and I enjoy these holidays and the food that comes with them. But maybe there's something a little bit deeper. Maybe that for me as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who has placed their complete faith in Jesus Christ to save them, to reconcile them to their creator, maybe this time of the year just means more to me because it's about Jesus. It's about him and what he's done. It's about our thanks to God through the Thanksgiving season and thankful for God's provision for us. And that connects up with the coming of Christ as we celebrate the light shining in the world, the light of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life that makes a way for us to be in relationship to our Father God. Maybe it means more because it's about Jesus. Well, let's start by, by, by looking at God's word and seeing what it tells us about God as creator. Um, as we start this journey, to see what the coming of Christ means for us. We have to understand, I think, what the world is like and what humanity is like for Jesus to come into our world, for him to, to be born and take on flesh and to come as a savior. What is it in the world that necessitates a savior? And so today we want to start at the beginning, and the beginning of this whole redemptive story of God is really God's creation. We know in the first verse of Genesis, most of us could probably quote it, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have God creating the heavens and the earth. It begins with him. And then it goes on in the first couple of chapters of Genesis to describe how God and what God has created. But over in chapter 1 in verses 26 through 28, it starts getting to the heart of the matter for us and that it it points to God not only as a creator of this world, but as creator of humanity. So let's look at chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, but them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. 
Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father are present at creation. They are one in unity, in substance. They, the, 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 the Trinity is not something that we're going to get into and try to explore right now, but God has created us. God has made us to be in relationship with him. I would say <clears throat> the one thing or the several things I underlined in this passage um, would be that, like you said, in he says that, like, let us make mankind in our image. Uh, but then the next phrase is so that they may rule. And so like that verse or that phrase, so that kind of gives us a purpose. Like he created us in his image for the purpose of ruling over God's creation. And so that gives us a responsibility, I think, um, as mankind, not only being created by the creator, but then we also get to rule over other things. And I think that's kind of the like image of God is creating and ruling. Hey, Broxton, uh, can you read that for us? Is that a possibility? Read Psalm 139 for us. Let's read verses 1 through um 18 okay one through 18 sure thing sure thing psalm 139 O lord you have searched me and known me you know my sitting down and my rising up you understand my thought afar off you comprehend my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways for there is not a word on my tongue but behold O lord you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall, shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes sought my saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What, what jumps out to you from Psalm 139 about who God is and what he is about and how he has made this earth? I know the bit for me that stands out is... Uh, the many omnis of God, the omnipresence, the omniscience of God. Uh, thinking back to verse one, oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. 
going even further into the passage, we see God's omniscience about our lives from the very beginnings and not just the beginnings as we know the beginnings, but the beginnings as God knows the beginnings. And even into the future where we cannot see, where we, we cannot even know. As the psalmist put it, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That, that idea of such all-knowing knowledge, if you will, about our every part of our being is really something that stands out to me. And, and most certainly it, it fits also with his, his presence being everywhere. The psalmist notes in verses seven through nine that he, he's everywhere. There's nowhere we can go and we can escape God. I think within that too, Brock, just the intimacy and the closeness, like you were saying earlier, Jared, about the personal connection that we were created to have with God and just the intimacy within that. I mean, obviously in verse 13, it says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And just the thought of how intricate the process of knitting is um, and how like time consuming and thoughtful it is. And I mean, everywhere else in the passage, um, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Um, I mean, God wants to be and is a part of our everyday lives and a part of everything within our everyday lives. Um, and I think just how close he wants to be to us even as our creator and the ultimate ruler of the universe um, and just his vastness and everything, just the idea that he wants to be so close and intimate and personal with us is, is beautiful. What does that mean for humanity to say that there is nothing that is outside of his rule or his reign? I think there's like two sides to it. I think that it's comforting because on the one hand, you like there's nothing you can't do that like God can't come rescue you from like he's not too far away because he's always with you um and coming there's so many verses in the bible about it like I'll never leave you nor forsake you um there's always the um the lost sheep analogy where you know he'll come after you because you know he's there but I think there's another there's another side to it that a lot of people tend to forget um especially like people um Christians who don't aren't in regular like scripture practicing and stuff who think that they can go and um, be sinful and kind of hide it shamefully from God and won't see it but like he is there and he holds us accountable for everything because he is there no matter what we think we can hide and I like that in verse 11 and 12 it's like if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me um, even the darkness will not be dark to you the night will shine like the day and for, for the darkness is light to you. So um, it's kind of like whip you into shape. Like it'll, you know, you can't escape it. So it's like, I gotta be always, you know, acting righteous like God told me to, because <laughs> I can't not be. Okay, Anna, you, you had some thoughts on that. I did that. My immediate thought went to Jonah and 
how in the book of Jonah explains how God gave him the responsibility to go preach um, salvation to the city of Nineveh and Jonah didn't want to. And so Jonah tried to run. Jonah tried to physically run away from the Lord and that didn't work out for him too well. Um, the Lord like eventually brought him back to um, his will and his purpose of going to Nineveh. Jonah did eventually make it to Nineveh. Um, but within Jonah's journey of going and attempting to run away from the Lord um, and a big storm coming and the fish swallowing him, um, Jonah was brought to his knees before the Lord and was sanctified in that process and was brought back to the Lord. Um, and so within that, even when we are, um, you know, in sin, I mean, obviously we're human beings and we're not God, even though we are created in the image of God, we are not God. And so therefore we have the capacity for sin. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about later in Genesis three, when sin entered into the world that got passed down through Adam and Eve to the rest of humanity. And so when we do have those sinful desires and when we do give into temptation, um, God is loving within his justice. And so as God, um, punished Jonah for trying to run away from him. Obviously God knew what was on his heart and his mind. So there was nowhere for Jonah to escape, but, um, as he was, um, Jonah repented and came back to the Lord and ended up serving the Lord and preaching salvation to Nineveh. But I think like that also reminds me of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where it says, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, Cause I think like you were saying, Reagan, like people aren't necessarily looking for sanctification in this very present moment in time. Um, obviously getting rid of sin is extremely uncomfortable. Um, obviously speaking from personal experience, it is not fun. It is not fun to be convicted. It's not fun to be called out, um, by brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Um, but on the flip side, even more so, it is so much worse to be disobedient to the Lord in that and to live in that lifestyle of sin, whether you get that instant gratification in the long run, it's going to be detrimental to your relationship with the Lord. And so in verse 24, it says, and see if there is any grievous way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, the psalmist is inviting correction and instruction from God's word. And so I think it's just a testament to who God is. God is this perfect and holy creator. And as we are created in his image, we should continue to be striving to conform to his image of his grace and his mercy and his holiness and his righteousness. 
And as his creation, we should reflect who he is and his character. And we can only do that through sanctification and by having a relationship with Jesus Christ um, through his blood and his sacrifice to be sanctified, to conform to that. Anna, you read those verses in Psalm 139 near the end of the section that we that we were reading there. Um, in verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me. Um, and lead me in the way everlasting. There, This introduces an element that we haven't necessarily talked a lot about. What we've talked about so far is this idea that God has created us. He has created us lovingly out of his desire for relationship with us. He made us for a purpose. We are made in a special way. We are made in his image. We share some characteristics that God has. We are able to relate to one another. We are able to show love. We are able to have knowledge. We are able to act and, and be creative in our own ways. We are not God, but in some ways we are, we are in God's image. He has created us very particularly and for a particular role in his creation. And that he has, there's something special about us that puts us above just the ordinary everyday creation around us. But there's something that you introduced when you read that, that, that passage um, where it invites God to search us and know us. With this bounty of creation, this provision of creation, there is also accountability. God put some standards. He put parameters over creation. And because he is creator, he has every right to do that. So he hasn't just made creation with all of this bounty and provision for us and says, now y'all go out and have fun. He, he has put standards around creation and boundaries around creation. And he has put parameters for how we as his created beings are to live and how we are to act. I want us to go back over into Genesis again. I want to read you something here because I want us to talk a little bit about these parameters that God has put on his, on his world. So let's look over at Genesis chapter two, beginning in verse 15 and look at this idea of parameters and responsibility for how creation is supposed to act. Now, remember, God has created this garden. God has placed human beings in this garden. Um, th this creation, this place of bounty and provision where God was giving them responsibility and how they were supposed to live, but he was providing for them bountifully. And here's what God says to them. And in, 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 uh, he says to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now here we see the introduction of parameters, of standards that derived from God as creator. He has every right to say, I've made you. Now here is how you're going to live. 
think it's important to understand that from the standpoint of of having some kind of guide in your life. A lot of people are constantly looking for something to identify with or looking for something to find purpose in. Well, if we look at the biblical story, what we find is a story of purpose. We find our identity in, in the story that God has created us. He's given us parameters. He has given us this. And if we, and if we find that and we search it and we're comfortable with that, it makes so much of our human story that much better in that we see God for who he truly is. In that text we just read in, in Genesis 2, disobedience or refusal to follow that guideline, and it was a, a spiritual standard, you were to relate to me in this way, this is a command that I'm giving you to do this and don't do that. It is important for us to see that there were repercussions for ignoring that standard. Now we can read on over into Genesis three and see where that happens, where Adam and Eve eat of that fruit. It breaks that relationship. There is now the guilt of sin. Um, it changes. God has created them to be in perfect harmony and relationship with him and says, these are the standards of that relationship. And when they broke the standards, the per, went beyond the parameters, when they disobeyed God, it broke that relationship. And so you see why it's important for us as humanity to understand that. If we walk through this world thinking there is no standard for a human's life, you do what you want to do, don't hurt other people, and, and it's all good, we ignore the creator we ignore the standards, and so we don't understand that the relationship is even broken because we don't, we don't even know that there is a relationship. We don't even know that there is a God if we ignore God as creator. So why is that important to us? I think it's important to us as we start looking forward to Jesus and where we're going human beings, we ourselves would never understand how important Jesus is eternally. While we need a savior, if we didn't understand that we had a God that made us and held us accountable. Okay. Romans 14, 11 and 12 for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes. Each of us will give a personal account to God. So there we're introduced to this idea of accountability. Who do I have to answer to? And the, the, the biblical answer is, is the one we are accountable to is the one who has made us. Who has made us? Well, we go back to Genesis. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has made us, has created us, and we will what? Have to give an account of ourselves to God. So there's the outflow of that accountability. There, there's some sort of future um, moment of accountability to God that we will have to stand before him, before Christ as the judge, 
and we will have to give an account for how we have lived in relationship to his standards. Now that's important. Jesus himself talks about this idea of accountability over in Matthew chapter 12. Um, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus introduces this idea of accountability as well. He says this, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. So there's accountability. God is creator. He has made us. We didn't make ourselves. He has made us out of love. He has made us for relationship. He has made us in the image of God in a special way above creation and underneath his rule and his reign. And we live and have been placed in creation within his parameters for existence. And we are accountable to him. We have to answer to him. Now, now I want to ask you this question. When you read these two passages, that every one of us must stand before God and be accountable for our actions, how do you respond to that? What, 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 does, what does that do to your heart? I know what it does to me. <laughs> what does it do to your heart? What are you, what are you thinking when you hear that? And, and what does that remind you of about Jesus and about his presence in your life and what he has done in your life? Well, I just think about how, you know, we can't solve our own heart problem. I mean, just like this verse in Matthew, I mean, we're, what comes out of our mouth is an indication of what's in our heart. And so we can't just clean up our speech and just think, oh, if I just clean up my speech, that my heart's going to be clean too. It's, it's actually the reverse. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And then that's going to change our attitudes and our, our speech, you know, so. Um, and, and the other thing too, I think is we've got as Christians, we've got to quit looking to the world and to um, what culture says and, and the opinions. And we've got to be looking at the word of God because the world will tell us a totally different thing and a totally different standard than what the word of God says is acceptable. So. And Beth, I think that is a temptation is, and, and one of the reasons we need to understand God is creator and that we're accountable to him is that our world pretty much exists outside of that understanding our world has said you are accountable to yourself or you're accountable to those people around you mm -hmm. to act according to what is for their good or what you think is true what your decision or your defining of your own life is about and so we our cultures have moved away from this acknowledgement of god as the standard maker is God is the one who sets parameters. And even as believers, if we're not careful, as you said, we will begin to listen to what the world says about parameters, about standards, about, you know, what God has set in place to guide our living. Anna, you had some thoughts on that. Um, this idea of, uh, of accountability to God. 
Yes, um, I think it's interesting. I've been reading in Proverbs lately, Miss um, Beth, what you said before about how we can't fix our own heart problem. Um, I was reading this morning in Proverbs 10, um, 10, 20, it says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. And so I think it's interesting what we were talking about earlier where Jesus says, like, we have to give an account before the Lord um, for our actions and then, or by the words, yeah, that we have to give an account for every careless word um, that we speak. And then the next verse says, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Um, And so obviously like the whole premise of the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. And so um, like having that respect and that reverence and the understanding of God's authority in our lives um, causes us to want to conform our lives um, to, to what his word says that we should as believers and what our hearts and our um, thoughts should desire. And so in Proverbs 10, 20, it says the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, where the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Um, So as far as like the heart issue, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Because obviously, if their heart is wicked, then their speech is not going to be any different. Um, But the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Their heart has already been changed by God, by the fear of the Lord. The Lord has changed their heart. And so from their heart, their words are going to be worth so much more um, than anything that the wicked or the foolish or anyone else would say. Anna, you point us forward there to this transformed life. Um, Again, we're pointing forward to Jesus. We're, 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 foreshadowing in our discussion what is what is to come so this idea of out of our hearts as human beings he's made us but as we referenced over when we mentioned genesis chapter three humanity failed humanity disobeyed god they they fully embraced sin and disobedience against god and, and we have inher- inherited that. We have done the same thing. So the place that we find ourselves right now before a God who has made us, who has set the parameters and the standards for our life, who we are accountable to, is every one of us, and we'll look at this more in the coming weeks, but every human being has gone outside of the parameters that God has set. We have broken his standards. We have sinned, to use the biblical word. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit of it, the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The first thing I want you to see is that this is us. Meaning I can't just point my fingers at Adam and Eve and saying, look what they did. This is every human being. We have all chosen to eat that which is forbidden, to disobey God and to sin. It says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The first thing I want you to see is this, is that as a part of God's intended creation, human beings walked with God. They were in his presence. That is how we are intended. That is how we are created to be. Do you see the love there? That God has given them this. He has given them their, his presence. He has given them provision and bounty. He has blessed them in that place. And they turned against that and went against that. And it broke that loving relationship they were intended to have. God intended for humanity to live in this loving, close relationship with him. And we broke it. Humanity broke it by sin. Why do we need Jesus? Let me hear what you think about that. It's the reality that that we can't we can't go back in in a sense. We can't magically make this up. We we can't in some way, shape, or form really correct this. We have we have gone against the Almighty Creator and we can't make it up. We can't find ourselves working our way to righteousness. And that's the whole point of Christ is to act as this mediator between our earthbound unrighteousness and the God heavenly righteousness. And here Christ is the mediator. And, and so much so that we were talking earlier about God's love. It was out of God's love that we see Christ sent. That we see Christ given for humanity. Where do we see that, Brock? We Off see the that. top of your head. Where do we see God has lovingly created, but he has also lovingly provided a solution to our sin. Where do we see that in scripture? We see that in John uh, 3.16 and verse 17. And let me read those real quick. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
Well, if I can make another connection kind of to um, John 3 and also like the passages you were reading, um, in Psalm 139, I, I mentioned um, a while ago that it says something like, um, if I say, oh, surely the darkness will hide me, you know, from, from God. Um, and then he kind of elaborates about how he can make the darkness as bright as day. Um, in John 3, verse 19, it says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, which we've already made the connection that God is light. And so when he comes down to save us, he is the light. Um, so light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Um, so that's kind of another analogy to, um, to understand how like the contrast of sin and Christ coming to save us from what we physically can't do because we love the dark too much. Let me read another passage to you from Genesis chapter three that points us to the need for Jesus and what he brings. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, God has dealt with the sinfulness of humanity, and he's putting them out of his garden, out of his creation for them, away from this place of, of bounty and blessedness that they were experiencing the very presence of God. And in verse 22, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the picture here is that God, in response to their sin, he has lovingly and justly acted to put them out of this place that he has created for them. And so we've got this picture of, of humanity being separated from what God had intended for us. The intended relationship with God to be in his presence moment by moment has been broken and in fact there is a barrier now okay there's a barrier between what god desired and had intended for humanity and where humanity is now do you get that picture god had intended it god lovingly created us to be in this perfect relationship with him and we broke it and now we have been separated from that and there are angelic beings put there to guard the place. That's, that's the image in the scripture with a flaming sword. So my question for us is, is, is it possible? Or how is it possible for us to bridge that barrier that sin has brought into this relationship with God? How is there any way that humanity can somehow get beyond this barrier between what God desired for us and where we now find ourselves? How can we be brought back into right relationship 
with God. There, there's no way, as I mentioned earlier, that we can work our way into righteousness. The Bible explicitly tells us that much. But in, in the same manner, it also tells us that Christ, in, in 1 John, it, it describes Christ as the perfect propitiation for our sins. Uh, propitiation simply being the, the big word for perfect atoning sacrifice. We, the only way we can find righteousness is by believing in Christ, by trusting in him, making him the Lord of our lives. By Christ being the absolute center, that is, that is how we attain righteousness. And you're exactly right. Only through Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father. You cannot come to the Father except through him. He is the way. So to uh, for us to be come back into, to experience what God has intended in terms of relationship with him, it must be through Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. You're right, Broxton, and, and in, in pointing out that there is no human effort that can bring us into what God intended, which is relationship with him, right standing with our God. It is only by Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we are able that he has secured this relationship for us if we'll simply believe. Um, I think this is why it's so important for us to understand God as creator and God is the one we are accountable to because without it, we don't understand Jesus. So Anna and, and Beth, uh, let me ask you to this. Uh, in your own way, and maybe it's through your own Jesus story. What is the way, or is there a way, as I asked Broxton, for us to be made right with God? Well, I know in my personal experience, I am so much of a perfectionist, and doing anything wrong or incorrect, um, or even change in general, um, just like doesn't sit well with me. Um, and like, I, I'm just such a perfectionist. I want to do everything right and make sure that everything's good. Um, so I know like before I became a believer, um, like I was very much a religious person. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, we were, you know, at the church pretty much any time the doors were open. And so, um, you know, I, I was a religious person um, and I looked, looked the part, act the part. Um, growing up when I was younger, I made a profession of faith and everyone, including myself, you know, thought that I was a believer, but it wasn't until later that I realized that like, I didn't truly understand what, the sacrifice that Jesus made for me and what it meant for him to mediate and to be the only way 
um, to the Lord was. I, I very much worked for my faith. Um, and if I'm not careful now, even as a believer, I can still be tempted to, um, you know, be religious and act religious and act the part and look the part, even working at a church, you know, serving the Lord is part of my job. And so I can be um, very tempted. I have to be so mindful of, of my heart in that and where my desires lie in that Um and to be mindful of Jesus is the only way. The only way that I am able to run to the Lord when I have, um, you know, problems in my life that I need to pray about, or even being joyful about things that he's been so gracious um, to give me, like salvation, um, like a, a church um, and a body of believers to worship with and to go to for wise counsel and different things like that. It's only by God's grace and the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ um, that he's given me an opportunity just to have that relationship with him. Your story's a lot like mine, one of a lot of religion and trying to earn it, and that never got me through that barrier. It never brought me back into right relationship with God uh, until I place my faith in Jesus Christ alone, the one mediator between God and man. Beth, what word of hope would you share in relationship to Jesus being the only way through that barrier of sin for us to be in right relationship with God? Well, I think just the the peace and the the release that we have from knowing that it's not up to us, that we we can't earn it, that we don't there's nothing that we can ever do to have that right relationship with God to earn our salvation. So, I mean, I guess on the one hand, for some, it could be kind of frustrating. Like, why can't I be good enough? Why can't I do enough to, for God to love me? But, you know, then there's such peace in knowing that I don't have to do enough. I don't have to be enough that God loves me and that he, you know, gave his one and only son, Jesus to, take on the penalty of our sins so that we could believe so that we could repent and have that right relationship with him. I mean, that's the greatest gift we could ever have is salvation. And then the fact that God allows us to be in relationship with him is just beautiful. Um, you know, to, to have that relationship, to grow in that, that he is our creator, that he is mighty, he is powerful. Um, but yet he is such a personal God who desires relationship with us. Um, you know, when, when we were looking at Psalms 139 earlier, some of my favorite verses in 17 and 18, when he just talks about how precious his thoughts are about us, that they can't even be numbered or counted, that every time God thinks about us, it's not thoughts of condemning us or look at you, you've messed up again. If we are, if we truly have repented and, and have placed our faith in him, then we belong to him and he loves us and his thoughts about us are so precious. And so there's comfort in that. Um, there's joy, there's peace in that and knowing that I'm in relationship with him and it wasn't based on anything I had to do. Thank you, Anna and Beth for sharing that encouragement about what Jesus has done for us. It's so encouraging to hear of the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm reminded of this today. 
that Jesus, as he says about himself, is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And as we remember what John 14, 6 tells us today, I am so encouraged because I know that we are like Adam and Eve. We were made by God, created uh, to be in relationship with him. God, out of his love, made us in his image. But we, just like them, rebelled. We went beyond the standards that God holds us accountable to. The Bible calls that sin. And in the midst of that, when we can often get discouraged when we think about our own sinfulness as humanity, it is so hopeful to hear the truth about who Jesus is, that through his perfect sinless life, through his death on the cross where he absorbed the punishment that was due to humanity, through his triumphant and victorious resurrection from the grave, Jesus has secured salvation, reconciliation, justification for those who would put their faith in him and him alone to save them. And that's encouraging to me. And I think that's the kind of encouragement we re need right now in our lives. As we look forward to Christmas and as we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, it's so encouraging to me to remember that he is our only hope. And only in Jesus Christ, through faith in him alone, can we experience all that he came to bring us. Forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to our God, fellowship and relationship with God. Only in Jesus Christ do we experience that. So thank you guys for sharing. That's incredible stuff. It's great to hear your stories and your thoughts on these Bible texts that we've studied today. Thanks for helping us with that. We want to thank you for joining us in this first of a series of discussions about what God's Word shows us about what Jesus coming into our world means for us. I want to thank the college students, Broxton Sanders, Anna Foster, and Reagan Chandler for joining us in this discussion today. Watch for new episodes coming out weekly where we discuss what Jesus means to each and every one of us. And may this Christmas season be a time of renewal and growth as followers of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us.